I'm dealing with leadership. In case you saw the flex banner that was in the town, my own assignment is on leadership. And uh, I want to take my time to come up with this. But I'm also going to see to you that I lay a foundation for you to come to it. By that I mean to say this. Even in the scriptures, as God ordained it, you can't come to the place of fatherhood unless you first become a bride. From brideship, you come to sonship. From sonship, you come to fatherhood. You can't become anything in God until you first become the bride of Christ. That's the beginning. And there are attributes and characters of a bride. It is your bridehood that bears sonship in your life. And it is sons that becomes fathers. And fathers are leaders. Therefore, we want to start with the position of sonship. Then progress into fatherhood, which is leadership in quotes. And then define the kind of leadership that God is really interested in within the body of Christ. So let's start our journey by looking at the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Don't forget what I said. If you really want to start, and the way it is, is you have to be first of all a bride, from a bride, become a son, from son, you become fathers. And fathers are leaders. And one thing you must understand again as we are looking into this is, everybody that has an idea or a word from God can lead the rest of the people. So one thing you need to begin to understand is, if you are called a leader, you must walk yourself by the grace of God to the position where ideas must flow from you. It's only the man that have an idea that can lead others. Are you getting that? It's the man that have heard from God that can lead others. People will follow whoever is hearing from God. I'll give you an example on that. Elijah heard from God. Ahab have to obey whatever thing he says. Bring the prophet of Baal. Pour water into it. Raw rain is going to fall. The king was running because somebody spoke. Automatically, Elijah became the leader in the nation. Because the king who was supposed to be leading the nation was responding to the instruction of Elijah. Why? Because Elijah had. So if you truly have to be a leader, then you must hear. Can I hand amen to that? First Samuel 10, are we there? Verse 9. This is um, when um, Saul was picked and ordained as it were as a leader in Israel. And the Bible says, verse 9, and it was so that his after has met with Saul, Samuel, and he had been anointed. But when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. He gave him 
specific signs of what's going to happen when he left his presence and was going to leave his presence. Verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass, when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, then the people said one to another, What is this that is come unto the son of Kish? He saw also among the prophets. Verse 12. And one of the same place answered and said, But who is your father? And I want you to note that in your scripture. Therefore, it became a proverb. He saw also among the prophets. Now, why I read the passage is that question. Who is your father? Remember, those who were prophesying were potential leaders at the end of the day. But here, by reason of that question, they couldn't be doing what they were doing except they were under somebody. Who is their father? For us to come to the place of true leadership, we should ask ourselves that question first. Who is my father? Until that question is answered, you are not walking through becoming a true leader. Because you cannot lead where you have not been led. You don't want people, you, you, you can't allow people to submit to you where you are not submitting to anybody. It doesn't work. The question is, who is their father? So as a potential leader, who is your father? So many of us don't know how to relate and we don't even want to come to the place of being sons to other people. To be positioned so that we too can become leaders tomorrow. Every leader must first be a son. There's a primary foundation for you to walk through. To have stability at the top. You can't start from the top. You have to start from the bottom. And go up. Praise the Lord. So the question is very plain. There, Who is their father? These people prophesy. Who is their father? By implication... You know people by who they relate to. You know people by who is fathering them. I'm sure an answer was supplied, but it's not put in scripture here. But there's a need for you to understand that. Who is their father? Amen? So, as a potential leader, like I said, you need to ask yourself the question. Do I really have a father? <laughs> Amen? Think about it. There is nobody in the nation, even in the political arena, you have people you call Godfathers. Am I right? Come on, are we together? Good. Without God for that reason, people are not going to where they are supposed to be. It's all over the place. Naturally and spiritually, it's a principle. Because you can't bet yourself. Somebody have to give birth to you. You can't bet yourself. It is after you have been given birth to you, walk under a father, and your father releases you, you become a father to your children as well. But some of us want to start from the top. <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> it's a hard place to be. You see, it's not as if that you can go through, but you struggle more to get there. And to stay there, you struggle more. Because you can't overrule the blessings of a father upon your life. What the blessing of a father will do for you gives you speed in whatever thing you are supposed to be doing. Amen. I've only said this time without number. People don't understand. You know, there's a lot of confusion within the body of Christ, I believe, 
where they begin to think that Jethro was such a hidden priest. And so Moses uh, went to Jethro and maybe, you see, God sent Moses to Jethro because Jethro was the priest of God. Jethro was the spiritual father of Moses. Jethro was the son of Media. The Bible says he was the priest of Media. Media was one of the children of the concubines, uh, Keturah, of Abraham. So Jethro was Abraham's grandchild. And he understood the worship of Jehovah. The first altar that was erected in the wilderness was erected by Jethro unto Aaron to know how to worship Jehovah. He was in the hidden priest. So the first spiritual father, in fact the spiritual father of Moses was who? Was Jethro. He taught him. And that's not going to make you understand as we read them. Some of us think the people under us, they are our people, my flock. No. Let me tell you this. Shepherds don't have flocks. Go check it up in Palestine. Was Moses was shepherding the people. I mean, the flocks of Jethro. Moses had no shepherd. He was a shepherd to Jethro. Shepherds have no sheep. So if you are a shepherd, then you have no sheep. The sheep belongs to God. Let me show you something else. That's why you don't get crazy when people misbehave in church. Don't get crazy. I'm going to make you see that. First Samuel 19. You know, some people can even go to the answer of saying, I'm going to pronounce a curse on you. You're telling lies. You can't pronounce a curse on anybody. They are not your sheep. Amen. You're always a shepherd. Shepherd don't own sheep. <laughs> are you still there? David was a shepherd boy. He never owned any sheep. Remember that? Good. 1 Samuel 19. Let's go to 1 Samuel 19. What happens when you function under a father? I just want to give you just one. Several I can, but I'm just going to illustrate this from the life of David and Saul as well. 1 Samuel 19. Praise God. Let's look at verse 18. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. Now, Saul was after David. You know the story. And then uh, he ran down to Samuel. And then he sent some people to go get him arrested so that they can bring him and kill him. 18. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naut. Now, by the way, as you read the scripture, something will begin to tell you the answer when they say, who is your father? So who was your father? Samuel. Did you get that? Now David ran. <laughs> he was getting a father. <laughs> Are you getting that? He didn't just run into the wilderness. He was looking for a father. He needed the protection of a father. Are you still there? So see what happened, verse 19. And it was told Saul saying, Behold, David is at now in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel, look at that, standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also did what? Prophesy. Now you watch that. If you read the whole story down, you find that even Simon, I mean Saul himself came down, and what did he do? He ended up prophesying. But the key point I want to raise is this. 
Because Simon was standing as a father over the sons of the prophet and David joined himself and then Simon became his father. Protection came to David. Samuel could not, I mean Saul could not touch David. Why? Because David was under a father. Did you get that? So as long as Samuel was standing as appointed, now get that point right. Samuel has got an appointment from God. In other words, as long as Samuel was functioning in the office that God called him into, all those under him, like David coming now, had protection. Now, it is not because of who Samuel is. It is because of his office, as God has called him. Now, I want you to look at it again. Read it, and you get the meaning of what I'm talking about. Praise the living God. Did you get that? You see, he said, And Samuel standing as appointed over them. Not just Samuel as a person. But standing on that office of his appointment over them as a father, David was protected. He didn't need to pray. He didn't just spend all night to get protection from Saul. It wasn't by complaint to get protection from Saul. But because he had a father in Samuel, the enemies could not do what? Touch him. Uh, some of us can can excuse ourselves or save ourselves much labor and anguish of what we call prayers for protection, for deliverance, if we truly can walk in simple instruction and obedience to what God is saying. By locating and trusting to have a father over our lives as sons. Amen? How many of you can really see, ordinarily speaking, that no father will want to allow his child to be messed up by another man. Is that all right? Practically, even the natural, you know you can allow it. Even so in the spirit dimension. God himself will not allow you to be messed up. And so if you have a canopy over you, the principle of spiritual fatherhood, you can also have protection without you struggling to get one. It will save you so many of your all night prayers. Amen. You walk in confidence, you walk in boldness because you have a father over your life. Me speaking to you, I have somebody over me. Is that alright? And I relate accordingly. I submit report accordingly. He knows everything that is happening to me on a daily basis because I understood the principle. And his prayers over my life has done great things. Up to this moment. The whole thing started in 2005. And the things are still working. Merely picking the phone to call him once in a while. We just talk on the phone. Energy surged into my life. Because there's a relationship. That's what fatherhood is all about. Some of you just walk life and think that, well, I've got the church, I've got that. Man, you don't need to struggle to do so many things. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a place for struggle. There's a place for grace. Amen. Okay. Let me show you what sons actually are supposed to be in relation to fathers. And that will progress. Don't forget what we're dealing with. We're talking about leaders, types of leadership as we're coming to it. Leadership. But then you can be a leader without first being what? 
his son. Practically impossible. 4 Thessalonians 3. Let me just look at this. 4 Thessalonians 3. Let me look at verse 1. Bible says, Wherefore when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by his afflictions for yourself, know that we are appointed thereunto. Verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it come to pass. And you know, for this cause, whom I could no longer forbear, I sent to you, I mean, sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and your labor be in vain. Amen? Now, Paul is sending who? Timothy. Unto who? Unto the church in Thessalonians. Is that all right? Okay, let's go to Philippians. Just want to read a few things here about the same guy, Paul. This one I'm going to read from the message translation. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Let me read it from, I'm reading from verse 19. Philippians 2 verse 19. And I'm reading from the message translation. Are we there? But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you. That I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Praise the Lord. Now, the message says, I plan, according to Jesus' plan, to send Timothy to you very soon. So he can bring back all the news of how, of you, he can gather. Oh, how that how that will do me good heart or do my heart good. I have no one quite like Timothy. Listen closely. He is loyal and genuinely consigned for you. Mark those words about the spirit of sonship. A son is a loyal person. Paul is saying Timothy is loyal. No one like him. And genuinely consigned. Now you ought to understand. The consign of Paul was the consign of Timothy. Amen? Verse 21 says, For most people around here are looking out for themselves with little consign for the things of Jesus. And of course, this is part of what we do in ministry today. How to grow. It's not about Jesus. It's about our names. It's about our denomination. But you know yourself that Timothy is the real thing. He's been a devoted son to me. As together we've delivered the message. Praise God. You have been a devoted son? Timothy. You have been a devoted son. Lawyer. Devoted son. Look at the words that Paul was using in describing Somebody calls his son. Hallelujah. 23. As soon as I saw how things are going to fall out for me here, I plan to send him off. And then I'm hoping and praying to be right on his heels. Praise the living God. So we find here that Timothy was a true son. 
Bible says they were like-minded. Or the true sons of Paul. Now I have to say this. Every vision must be carried with a Timothy. Understand what I've just said? Every vision, or take it the other way around, every visioner must have a Timothy. Because where you can go, your Timothy should go. If you have hindrances, your Timothy should be there. And your Timothy will say and deliver the exact thing you were supposed to deliver if you were to be there. So for those of us who already think we are fathers, where is our Timothy? That was the question. No, it's, it's, it's very easy. Because the Timothys represent the vision in times of crisis. If you have problem today, already you claim it to be a spiritual father. If you have problem today, your ministry... Who will be there for you as a son? You see the crisis that Paul was facing. He couldn't get to these churches. But he needed to be there. But he realized if he could send Timothy, he's already there. Everything he will represent, everything he will have carried there, Timothy can take there. He called him a loyal son. A devoted one. For that matter. And we speak the same message. Not fragmentation. Amen? I'm only trying to find out how much of a son you are or now that you are a father, how many Timothys have you gotten already? <laughs> because you can't be a father without a Timothy. You're wasting your time. You're just playing games. You're playing games. Religious games. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, one of the things that prevents a man from actualizing his goal is when he lacks a Timothy in his life. It's a major issue. It, it can make you crumble. It can make you fail when you have no Timothy in your life. Master, I'm telling you about the school now. The man is gone, but the school is moving because there were Timothys around him who believed in the vision. Who understood what he was saying. And they are not carrying out their... See, when we were talking about establishing Rema Bible College, it's not their own colleges. It is Rema Bible College that they are establishing. That's Timothy. The man may not be there, but the Timothy is on ground. So if you don't want your ministry to fail, now that you are a father already, make sure you raise your Timothy. No, I'm just being honest. Some of us will not like this, but this is the truth. Every true Timothy, write it down. Every true Timothy is consigned for the work of his poor. If you truly believe that you are his son, how consigned are you for the work of your father? Amen. You know, I remember sometimes some of my friends in those days, they come to me and say, Hey, David, you can call anybody father. Jesus said that. I said, that's true. But in what context did he say? The Pharisees were saying things that they, did, they were not doing. Such a man is not qualified for a spiritual father. Paul would say, be ye imitators of me. Even as I'm imitator of Christ. 
And he said, you may have many instructors, but not what? Many fathers. If you say, call no one father, how will he call Timothy's son? What will Timothy call him? My brother. All these are stupid arguments that doesn't make sense. Will Timothy turn around and say, Paul, bro, bro, bro. How are you faring today, bro, Paul? Stupid. And Paul is saying, son, Timothy. And you're coming here to tell me, call no one father. You're not reading between lines. You're just taking scriptures and making meant for your rebellion. You don't want to submit to authority, that's all. You don't want to submit. So you're looking for something to excuse your rebellion. Call no one father. And Paul is rightly declaring there, you don't have many fathers, but many instructors. What are you saying? You can't call anybody father. Praise God. Religious pride. Amen. Let me tell you something. If you truly have a Timothy, I'm going to show you that in, 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 in the life of David. If you have your Timothy, if you already have sons, let me show you what he can do for you. And if you have a son, you also know this what you can do for your father. Are you see that? First Chronicles 11. Praise the Lord. First Chronicles 11, let's look at verse 15. The Bible says, Now, three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David, into the cave of Abdullam, and the host of the Philistines had come on the valley of Raphim. And David was then the whole, and the Philistines' garrison was then at Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. That is how the gate. And the three broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? Mark it. For with the jeopardy of their life, they brought it. Therefore, he will not drink it. This thing did these three mightiest men, or as the case may be. Amen. What am I trying to say? Every true son like Timothy would take a risk for his father. Praise the living God. These three men, they, they never mind anything. They just wanted their father to be satisfied. They just wanted their king to be satisfied. They just wanted the authority they are working with to be satisfied. Now, they didn't go there killing people. David didn't say, go kill some people for me. And he even, he even asked them to go. True sons have initiative to get the vision moved on. Amen? No, David simply said, I wish I could drink of the water. He was just, it's like, to me, he was soliloquizing, but he spoke aloud. He wasn't saying, who's going to help me? He didn't say so. But I wish I can. I wish I can drink that water. I need to drink that water. It's like saying, I need to be there. I need to get back to better. I need to get better back to myself. Merely saying that to the hearing of this man, three of them mobilized, man, come on. Our leader can't be suffering the test of that well, and we are here. They broke through. 
Meaning, you know what I'm talking about? The enemies were all lying up there. They went through their maze. Girl, the water came back. They didn't go there to fight. They were not bothered about who was there. They just wanted the king's test to be what? Satisfied. That is what a true son does for his spiritual father. Question then. If you have a spiritual father, what is his test? What is his burden? What is troubling your spiritual father? What is his drive? What is pushing him? What do you think he really wants to accomplish? That's the point. And how positioned are you? How are you positioning yourself to ensure that what my spiritual father is craving for must be satisfied? That's how to work with leaders. If you don't work this way, you can also be a leader. Because for everything, you, no, the Bible says, well, the measure you measure out, so shall be measured out to you. How many of you understand that? The way you treat your spiritual father, that's where your sons are going to be treating you. Because you are going to have sons. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to be in ministry, you're going to raise sons. Hallelujah. So every true son, that Timothy take a risk for their father. This is what the three men did. Unto who? Unto David. So risk is involved. If you truly believe in the vision of the house, if you believe in the vision of your house, risk is what? It's involved. You can't believe a thing without taking a risk. And you can't believe in the vision of a man without taking a risk for the man. Hallelujah. That's why you see sometimes you see some people, they look at some ministry. You see people give testimony, look at the ministry of the people and say, you see people come and sow seed, dangerous, say, dangerous seed. It's not because the pastors are propelling them, but they are committed to the vision of the one they believe in. People sell their cars just to make donations to churches. And you think they are fools. They are no fools. There is something driving them. Are you getting what I'm talking about? They want the task of the vision to be what? To be quenched. They know this man have a vision. They don't mind. Sell their cars or put the money at the feet of the pastor. And they say, oh man, this is crazy. This is not supposed to be. You don't understand. You don't know what these people are seeing. You don't know what they are seeing. Praise God. Are we together so far? Okay. Having come to the place of that, I believe you've gotten some understanding about sonship. Let's move in down to leadership. And then we'll look at the type of leadership that we're talking about. And uh, to me... It's like the leadership between what I would call the charismatic leaders and the apostolic leaders. There is a shift, if you want to take it from me, from what I would call the charismatic type of leadership into the apostolic type of leadership. And the apostolic type of leadership is Christ's pattern of leadership. Amen? That is why we're talking about leadership, not leadership. Are you still there? Are we together? I hope you still like me. <laughs> okay. You, you have no option to like me anyway. No option. You're still going to like me. Whichever way. I just know that, so I have no problem about that. Okay, second Kings, let's begin to look at two types of leadership now. The charismatic type of leadership 
in the apostolic type of leadership. Praise God. Second Kings 3. Second Kings chapter number 3. Are you there? Let's look at verse 11. You see what's going on here? Was Jehoshaphat about to say something? Verse 11, the Bible says. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elijah, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know if you picked that. Here is Elijah, which poured water in the hands of Elijah. It means everybody knew the ministry of Elisha to who? To Elijah. <laughs> it, that was very good. Faithful, honorable way of service. There was nothing wrong with that. Only if there is no other pattern or there was no other pattern in scriptures for us. Now, permit me to say this. Okay, thank you. When you want people to serve you with coercion, you are in a charismatic model of leadership. Hallelujah. I'm going to explain what I mean. Okay. Let's just read another scripture. Watch this. Here is Elijah that poured water in the hands of who? Of Elijah. Well defined. Go to John 13. John 13. Verse number 3. Jesus, knowing, this was in the upper room, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and guarded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was getting. Then cometh him to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, that thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash not, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head. My hands are my head. I like this guy. Wash me. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed need not save to wash his feet, but is clean every week. And you are clean, but not all. 
For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said ye, you are not all clean. Amen. Then verse 12 said, So after he has washed their feet and taken his garment and was set down, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me master and lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash word another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than what? His Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than who? He that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I want you to compare these two types of leaders. Here is Elisha that was pouring hands, I mean pouring water, in the hands of who? Of Elijah. Here is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Where do you belong? You are already a father. I have no problem. You are such a mighty leader in your ministry. Wonderful. But whose model are you following? Are you in the Elijah model? Or you are in Jesus model? Are you the one that wants people to serve you even when it's not convenient? I mean, are you the type that You've made up programs, timetable for people that will wash your stockings and, you know. What kind of leader are you? Talk to me. Whose pattern of leadership? You know, we've come to the place today where you can carry your Bible. Your Bible is too heavy for you. Somebody have to help you carry your Bible. Because you're a pastor. The Bible you went to the market to buy. Now you can carry it. You bought it. The day you went to bought it, nobody followed you. You bought it. But now in church, somebody has to carry the Bible because it becomes too heavy because you get to church. Whose pattern of leadership are you following? That's charismatic. It's not apostolic one bit. Are you still there with me? Listen. Jesus is a model. Anytime, anywhere. Hallelujah. I'm not saying people should not honor their ministers. I'm not saying that. But when you think it's a right, then you don't even know who you are. Because the Bible says Jesus, because he knew who he was as the son of God, doesn't mean nothing to him anymore. Your knowledge of who you are in God will make you get out of such feelings. You're already honored, you're already honored. No, 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 nobody can take it from you. You're a pastor, you're a pastor, you're a father. I'm a, I'm a father to Maxwell. Nothing can remove that from my life. I mean, it doesn't matter whether I have money, I don't have money, I don't have a airplane, I'm a father. I mean, well, what is my trouble? Is there anything you can do about it? Nothing. Nothing. And so, have you known that I'm a father? Why do I struggle for somebody to worship me? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Jesus knew who he was. That he was the son of God. He came from God. He's going back to God. Every other thing amounts to nothing. He took. It is because he knew. That's why he took. But there is Elijah hanging somewhere for people to pour water in his hand. He can't even wash his hand. He wants to eat. He can't wash his hand. 
He wants to eat. He can't wash his hand. Can't place the water into water. Somebody have to pour the water first. All because he can call fire from heaven. What did, he, what did he ever try to do that Jesus didn't do twice? I mean, think about it. Don't let power make you mad. It doesn't mean anything. You don't raise people who are making them slaves before you. Hmm? Hallelujah. So we have the charismatic model. And we have the what? The apostolic model. There's a shift at this moment that we are within the body of Christ. There's a shift from the charismatic to what? To the apostolic model. Somebody says, why did you call it the apostolic model? Hebrews 3 tells you that. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ, the high priest of our profession, the apostle of our profession. So every church is supposed to be apostolic. Why? Because the one we worship who is the head of the church, is what? He's apostolic. So if your church is not apostolic, then you are not the church of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 verse 1 and 2. Read it. He's the apostle of our profession, the Bible says. Meaning, what is the word profession? Homologia. It's the same thing as confession. Is a high priest and apostle of our confession. What we proclaim. And you don't proclaim except you believe. So we believe, therefore, we speak. So if that is the case, I wish you can take time to check up again where we are right now. Are we in the charismatic or in the apostolic? Praise the living God. The charismatic is self-centered. The apostolic is people-centered. Is that all right? Charismatic model of leadership is self-centered. You want honor. You want respect. You're dragging it. But the apostolic is people-centered. You serve the people. Now I'm going to give you a typical example again from, from the world. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12. But don't forget that word. The charismatic model of leadership is self-centered. The apostolic model of leadership is people-centered. If you serve your people, they will respect, honor, and even worship you. They will miss you if you are not there. First King chapter 12. Let's look at verse 6. Look at this. And King Rehoboam consulted. Uh, uh, you know the story? Rehoboam, Jeroboam, division of the kingdom. Is that alright? Praise God. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old man that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer these people? You remember they came to him. Hey man, this taxation of your father is something else. You better reduce it now that you are the king. Is that alright? And you know why Solomon had to tax the people that much? He's got so much babies around him. He had to feed them. Huh? 300 registered and concubines 700. You know what that means? 
And all of them have children. I don't know why scripture didn't want to mention the children of Solomon, except very few. But you see, you know why Solomon did what he did? Not because he loved women so much. Because he didn't even have the time to see all of them. So I'm sure some didn't even see him before he died. Hmm? 1,000 days, how many years days you have in a year? So think about that. <laughs> so, but you know what? Solomon was doing that to secure his kingdom. Because if you marry from this king, you enter into a covenant with the king. That king will not come and fight you. So you go through all the nations of picking a woman so that you can have a covenant with them. Man, you don't secure what God has given to you. Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord watch it over the city. That's what you should understand. Solomon wanted to watch over his city and want to make sure there is no war. He's not ready for war. So he go to the king and say, you got a baby? Man, I want to marry that one. You just bring them in. So now everybody is full. Everywhere is full. How do I feed them? Okay, you increase the taxation. That's why the tax was so high. So when this man died, people felt relief. Man, this man is gone. What do kill us with all your women? And children, so they came to the Solomon and said, Man, uh, oh, mommy, your, your father is gone, so what are you going to do about this? It's not as if we're comfortable doing what we're doing, okay? We're not comfortable at all, but it's just that we don't want to complain, and you can't even complain because the king's world is authority. Is that all right? So, what do you think about it? The old man, he went to the old man and said, uh, Look at the question, this is why I bring it to me. What do you, the old man to me, I just like. Uh, the counselors or the kingmakers in the palace. Okay. And then verse 7. And they speak unto him saying, If thou will be what? Come on, read with me. If thou will be what? A servant unto these people this day. And we do what? Serve them. And do what? Answer them. And do what? Speak good words to them. Then they will be thy servant forever. Apostolic model. Did you get that? If you will serve these people, what did Jesus do? He served the people. <laughs> Praise God. Oh my God. I wish the church can come to a place of understanding. Some of this pride that is on us will just go down. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you are raising the dead. You are just a human being. It's grace that is flowing in your life. Relate to the people. Amen. It doesn't matter. Even if you walk in the street, oil is you know, falling from you and grasses are dying because of the oil that are coming. It doesn't make anything. You're still a human being. It's grace. No man can receive anything except it's given to him from above. Don't let that get into your head to make people slaves before you. What kind of leadership are you? Hallelujah. Oh, I like these old people. They got wisdom. You know, you see, if only you could just serve these people, speak good words to them. How many of you, how do you speak to your people? You know, people say, hey, if you don't like, get out of this place. I don't mind. I don't care. Uh, you care. <laughs> you care. You know why? You know where you're going to care? Oh, my God. <laughs> Book of Proverbs says, know the state of your flock. You know, take care of them. Because from there, you get your clothing, your wool, your meat. Am I correct? You care. 
When you make it dry in the house, then you will know, hey, I made a mistake. Your mouth will put you into trouble. You will care. I have only told people. I, I was speaking to a friend. I said, man, you see, don't keep on complaining because the way you're running ministry, I think it's a big one. Because the truth is, if Jesus will have been embarrassed, arrested for tax invasion, if not for Peter. Does your master pay tax? I mean, I'm just remembering him. Yeah. He told Peter, you go get the fish, and then when you go pay for me and pay for yourself. It was because Jesus raised Peter. That's why he paid tax. When you drive away all your Peters with your mouth, the day of tax arrest is coming. That's where you will care. Somebody say, do you mean I have to depend? No, I'm not saying depending on the people. You're looking unto God, but God uses people to bless you. He said, give it, shall be given to you good measure, praise and shaking together. Shall God cause men, not spirit, men, to give to your bosom. Now, after you've driven away all the people who are supposed to give to your bosom, even if God asks them to bring, they'll say, that man, no, I can't go. Send somebody else. He said, if only you could serve them, you speak good words to them, they will be what? Thy servants forever. That is the thing I want you to do. He said, people will serve you when you serve them. Go to verse 8. <laughs> this was the biggest mistake he made. But he forgot the counsel of the old men who they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, peer group. I want to bring peer group into spiritual matters. <laughs> and we stood before him. We stood before him. They were not the kingmakers. This one, they are too old. The old men, they are too old to discuss the present trend. Because a young man, this is a new generation. So he brought the young ones to stand before him and then, what shall we do? Get the answer. Get the answer. Are you sitting there with me? And he said unto them, What cancer gave you that we may? We may, not, not I, we may. So we are not one. We may answer these people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke way that Father did put on us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto these people that speak unto thee, saying, The Father make our yoke heavy, but thou make it light unto all. Thou shalt say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loin. Can you get that? Very charismatic. Power. Are you getting what I'm talking about? <laughs> Have you seen people say, if, if I speak, if, don't make me angry. Huh? I'm, just, I'm just pitying you in this church. If I speak one word in your life, your life is finished. Go and sit down. I want to make you understand something. That even the people under you, it is no you that made them to come to you. And the day you start thinking that you speak things that are fed, like the one that brought them to you will take them from you. Because number one, you don't own the sheep. You are a shepherd. And I want to repeat again. Sheep don't, I mean shepherd don't own sheep. Shepherd are simply worker for the sheep owner. You don't own one. 
That's why in the book of Jeremiah, even in Ezekiel, God will say, I'm going to take my sheep from you and give you shepherd of my own heart. Because you don't own them. So mind the way you talk to your people. No matter how highly anointed and angry you be. Because the anger of man is said, work at not the righteousness of God. Somebody says holy anger. Define it. Hallelujah. So, if I may ask you a question, how will you describe the counsel given by these two group of people? Look at the counsel of the elders and look at the one of the young men. Question, where do you belong to? Will you subscribe to the counsel of the elders in your ministry? Or you want to subscribe to the counsel of the young men, the charismatic people? Praise the living God. Are you prepared to serve those who are under you? Will you come down to that level? Will you be able to relate on equal level with them? That won't take away your respect. Jesus was with his people. Wherever they were going. Here's our model. Here's our example. Praise the living God. Some of you start churches not even up to one year. You are not papa. Papa. What, what, what is that supposed to mean? Am I running to anybody? No, no, no. I'm just speaking scripture here. <laughs> now you are Papa. Do you know what it means to be a Papa? <laughs> I was in Malaysia and there was this, you know, the other guy, Papa. And so when this meeting and then they came to me, they introduced him, say, this is so oh, you are the papa? I said, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, sir. He said, no, I said, but you are papa. I'm not papa. <laughs> How you take care of us? Papa have to take care of the young ones. Since you are papa, take care of us here. You have a little flock of about 20 people. You are papa. You go there, pause. This charismatic thing that is entering our head, God, we have to deliver us from them. Hmm? Hallelujah. You may have maybe one or two fellows who relate to you in another city. You print in handbills that you have local churches there. You are a pastor to 50 city churches. Maybe it's one man that is there that relates to you. Strong with us. Bible says, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. God will help us. <laughs> if that be a servant to these people, do you know something? This thing itself is constitutional. The president of a nation is a servant of the people. That is the way it's supposed to be. I pledge to serve my country. It's constitutional. The king is meant to be a servant to the people. That is why even the king leads people to war. That is why the only time David failed, because he felt too comfortable. When people were going to war, he was sleeping. 
So when he woke up in the evening, he saw Raya's wife. At that level, he was no longer functioning constitutionally as a king. What kind of leader are you? That's why you are failing. You can't join the people anymore. People like us, we can't go to prayer meeting anymore. They are for the people. Don't go to prayer meeting. Don't, go to... Don't visit cell groups. They are for the people. <laughs> David, when he failed to go to war as a leader, that is when he saw Uriah's wife. Because the duty of the king is to take the people to war. Serve them. Now you are a king. You don't relate anymore. Because you are a pastor. You have not even done ministry up to 20 years. You have not seen the troubles in ministry yet. See, some pastors are getting older than their age because of too much thinking. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Stress. Look at their face. They are older than their age because of overthinking. Instead of walking in peace and allowing God to do things. Hallelujah. You are a servant to the people. Amen? I want you to understand that. <laughs> okay, I would like to show you another scripture. I like that one. They will be servant to you forever. Hmm? The only way to ensure the obedience of your people is your service to them. Is that okay? If you are serving, how many of you understand? Look, even the political structure. The president that is delivering the goods, people want to vote him back into power. Because the purpose of the constitution for you to go there is to deliver services to the nation. Hallelujah. Let the people see that the very pastor is living his life for them. Is that alright? And not for himself. They will obey you, they will love you, and will defend you. Praise the living God. So you see, the states in a nation, for instance, is maintained by the mutual services rendered both to the people and the people to the ruler. That is why the state can be balanced and stable. So the church can only be stable if we go through these processes. Let me see if I begin to round up from here. Turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel 15. Let's see what we can do from here. Let me see. I want to give an example of a man that applied this principle. Second Samuel 15. Praise God. Verse number one. And after this came to pass that Absalom prepared his chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, The servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right. 
but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said moreover, all that I were made judge in the land that every man which had any suit or case or cause might come unto me and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man come nigh to him to do him obedience, obedience listen to what he does and watch it. He put for his hand and took him and what happened? And kissed him. Look at verse number six. And on this matter, this man had this Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole, hallelujah, the heart of all the men of Israel. How did he steal their hearts? Love. He was a rebel, but he loved the people. And everybody was going for Absalom. People there, it was his beauty. It was not the handsomeness. He had the principle of relating to the people. He was comforting the people. He was ensuring that their heart desires were met. He was ensuring they had peace as they come to his presence. Hallelujah. Amen. Are we together? Absalom stole the heart of the people of Israel. Both big and small. They were coming to Absalom. Why were they coming to Absalom? Because he will lay his hand on them. He will comfort them. He will cause to ensure that the pains they have in their heart was taken away. How many of you understand that one hand that somebody laid on you, a hand of consolation can do much more in your life than even a hundred prayers? Let me tell you this. Watch how Jesus healed one of the lepers. He touched him. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Do you know what it means for Jesus to touch the man? Do you know how the man felt? Because lepers were not supposed to be among people. Lepers were the rejected of the society. They were supposed to stay outside of the city. But here was Jesus. And a Pharisee can't do that. A Sadducee can't do that. But Jesus went and touched the leper. The touch produced the healing. The way you handle people will make them love you and they can risk their life for you. Are you getting what I'm talking about? That's the model of Jesus. And that's exactly what it is. And Absalom did that. So let's take a final scripture on this. I think I will just need to wrap up here. I will know, but let me see. Let me quickly read this. But I'll read another scripture. I want you to look at Mark chapter 10. Yeah. Look at Mark 10. Look at 41. Write it down and then you read it at home. Jesus said, the Gentiles, the Lord it over. Okay? Alright? Uh, so I'll look at the last scripture and then we'll be through with that. Did you get Mark chapter 10? I said, write it down. I'm not going to read that. You know that so well. Jesus gave an example on that. So, just write it down. Mark 10, 41. And then to 45. But the scripture I want to read is 1 Samuel 10, verse 25. 1 Samuel 10, verse 25. And then we can, we can just find out from this. Praise God. Are you there with me? 1 Samuel 10, 25. Look at this. I'm reading from 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the king, kingdom and wrote it in the book. That is after the demand for a king. 
and laid it up before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose heart God have touched. Watch that. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Did you see anything there? Come on, look at it again. Did you see anything there? When Saul was anointed, I was going back to Gibeah. The Bible said, those who went with him are those that God have touched in their heart. So you can't force people to join your ministry. Therefore, if people come to your ministry and they want to go, don't get crazy about it. God didn't send them to you. They were just passing by and they come in like those who go to shopping mall. They were not for you. There is nothing you can do for those people. Listen, the people that God sent to you, who God has told you how to, you don't pray, 100 prayers for them to have the breakthrough. Because the grace in your life will work for them. The Bible says, those that God has touched their heart went with Saul. So not everybody had the touch of God in their heart to go with Saul. And Jesus said the same thing in the book of John. He said, no man can come unto me except the father draws him that word draw means drag it means even if the person is resisting god will still pull him to come to you because under you the person will find light do you understand that so some of you get grief some of you get pains some of you get stupid sometimes when people get out of your ministry you don't need to bother about that just love the people whoever needs to go find don't hate them Young man came to us a few months ago and, and left. And he came back last week and we we're talking. I told him, I said, you know the biggest mistake you made? Walking out without even speaking to me? I don't hate you going anywhere. No problem. We are still brothers. You can fit in here. I have no problem at all. This is not your place. Go to where you can fit in. Go to where you can be fed. You can be fed here. You don't have the capacity to take what we have here. So I have no problem. There are meat, there are bones, and there are milk. Milk, meat, bones. You could be in the level of milk and you're here. You'll be stopped dead. Because the bones can't pass your throat. So go to where milk are provided. I'm going to hate you for that. No problem one bit. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? The Bible said those that God touched their heart, they came to Saul and went with him. Don't get angry when people leave your church. Knowing that you are doing what you are supposed to do. Do it. Love the people. God will bring the people that will work with you. Amen? Final scripture. And on that note, that's why you don't pronounce curse on anybody. Amen? Final scripture here. 1 Corinthians 1. Now, this is very important. I think we need to read it. 2 Corinthians 1. Let's just look at 23 and 24. And then we'll close from there. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 1, are you there with me? 23 and 24. I want to read from the message translation. Now, are you ready for the real reason I didn't visit you in Corinth, Paul is speaking? As God is my witness, the only reason I didn't come was to spare, spare you pain. I was being considerate of you, not indifferent not manipulative not that don't manipulate people 
Don't use coercion. Verse number 24. This is the key thing I want. We are not in charge of how you live out the faith. Looking over your shoulders. Suspiciously critical. We are partners walking alongside you. Joyfully expectant. And know that you stand by your own faith, not by ours. Train people, let them live out what you're giving to them. Don't be suspicious of people. Don't nose into people's privacy. King James said, we have no dominion over your faith. Your faith rests in God, not in you. That's why if you want to make them to have their faith in you, you are taking the place of God in their life, which is not supposed to be. Do you understand that? Where if your member doesn't see you, then his life is gone. Not out of love, but out of fear. If you don't pray, answer will never come from heaven. Man, that is no ministry. Paul said, we have no dominion over your faith. Everywhere you go, you are meant to manifest the faith of God that is given up to you. We give you keys to life. We give you ways to seek him. We give you direction on how you can get a personal relationship with God. That is where our ministry ends. We don't rule you when you go back to your home. You are staying with God. You are accountable to God. Can I hear an amen to that? God bless you and I'll see you next month. Thank you for ordering our audio resource. We believe that the message you've listened to have impacted your life and brought a new level of understanding to you. For further information, please, you can visit us on the website www.gkai.net or send us an email at admin at gkai.net or you could SMS or call any of these numbers plus 234 or plus 234-815-967-2790.